This is the best podcast on the planet. I'm not being biased at all. Thanks for listening, supporting, sharing, and subscribing to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to stay informed. Share with a few friends. Email Dr. Matman Harrell at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com exclamation point. Connect on Instagram at themindfulfarmd. Check out drmattmanharrell.bio.link for everything about the podcast. A thousand thanks and stay mindful. Mindful Log, January 1st, 2023. Was Reconstruction ever successful? This short-lived era of so-called American progress was met with staunch criticism, opposition, and rebuke. This era was from 1865 to 1877. This era was where America's goal was to elevate the Negro from his position of servitude. And yet the only thing reconstructed was the Negro's chains. No longer made of rusted, reused, blood-stained metal. The new chains were made of rope, racism, and retribution for the soul of America white supremacy. The rope used to hang thousands of black men and women, not because they committed some great crime, but simply because they were black. The racism used to perpetuate the narrative proven by pseudoscience that the black race was subhuman and not deserving of equal treatment with whites. The retribution of America's soul by Southern whites that whites were divinely granted a more superb status over blacks. This nation was perhaps founded on these principles that blacks were born below and must remain so. The era of Reconstruction was not that at all. Instead, the Civil War never truly ended. North and South may have discontinued the firing of ballistics and the swinging of swords at the end of muskets. However, black and white would continue to battle with words, pictures, rope, quote, white justice, and diametrically opposed views of what it meant to be human. Today, some of the same disturbing ideologies can be seen. The black man is viewed as a child who needs help or a thug. There's still silencing of successful blacks who dare make a name for themselves. So-called science to prove that blacks are oppressed and will always be because of their minority status. Sounds a little like critical race theory to me. Anna Julia Haywood Cooper was an African-American author, educator, sociologist, speaker, black libertarian activist, and one of the most prominent African-American scholars in United States history. In 1893, 
Cooper delivered a speech at the World's Congress of Representative Women in Chicago. Although the audience was mostly white, Cooper paints a poignant picture of what it's like to be black in America and to be a black woman in America. However, Cooper also paints perhaps an even more poignant picture of the progress blacks had made despite the circumstance of only being 30 years post-slavery. In the end, Cooper reminds the audience then and the audience of the future that woman's cause is one and universal to all sexes, races, creeds, and nationalities. The following is a reading of Cooper's speech titled, I Speak for the Colored Women of the South. Anna Julia Cooper, 1893. Speech. I speak for the colored women of the South. The higher fruits of civilization cannot be extemporized, neither can they be developed naturally in the brief space of 30 years. It requires the long and painful growth of generations. Yet all through the darkest period of the colored woman's oppression in this country, her yet unwritten history is full of heroic struggle a struggle against fearful and overwhelming odds that often ended in a horrible death to maintain and protect that which women holds dearer than life. The painful, patient, and silent toil of mothers to gain a fee, simple title to the bodies of their daughters, the despairing fight as of an entrapped tigress to keep hollow their own persons would furnish material for epics that more went down under the flood than stemmed the current is not extraordinary. The majority of our women are not heroines, but I do not know that a majority of any race of women are heroines. It is enough for me to know that while in the eyes of the highest tribunal in America, she was deemed no more than, than a chattel, an irresponsible thing, a dull block to be drawn higher or thither at the volition of an owner, the Afro-American woman maintained ideals of womanhood ashamed by any ever conceived. Resting or fermenting in untutored minds, such ideals could not claim a hearing at the bar of the nation. The white woman could at least plead for her own emancipation. The black woman, doubly enslaved, could but suffer and struggle and be silent. I speak for the colored women of the South because it is there that the millions of blacks in this country have watered the soil with blood and tears. And it is there too that the colored woman of America has made her characteristic history and there her destiny is evolving. Since emancipation, the movement has been at times confused and stormy so that we could not always tell whether we were going forward or groping in, in a circle. We hardly knew what we ought to emphasize whether education or wealth, or civil freedom or recognition. We were utterly destitute, possessing no homes, nor the knowledge of how to make them, no money, nor the habit of acquiring it, no education, no political status, no influence. What could we do? But as Frederick Douglass had said in darker days than those, quote, one with God is a majority, end quote. 
and our ignorance had hedged us in from the fine-spun theories of agnostics. We had remaining at least a simple faith that a just God is on the throne of the universe, and that somehow we could not see, nor did we bother our heads to try to tell how he would in his own good time make all right that seemed wrong. Schools were established, not merely public day schools, but home training and industrial schools at Hampton, at Fisk, Atlanta, Raleigh, and other central stations, and later, through the energy of the colored people themselves, such schools as the Wilberforce, the Livingston, the Allen, and the Paul Quinn were opened. These schools were almost without exception co-educational. Funds were too limited to be divided on sex lines, even had it been ideally desirable. But our girls, as well as our boys, flocked in and battled for an education. Not even then was that patient, untrumpeted heroine, the slave mother, released from self-sacrifice. And many an unbuttered crust was eaten in silent content that she might eke out enough from her poverty to send her young folks off to school. She never had the chance, she would tell you, with tears on her withered cheek, so she wanted them to get all they could. The work in these schools and in such as these has been like the little leaven hid in the measure of meal, permeating life throughout the length and breadth of the Southland, lifting up ideals of home and womanhood, diffusing a contagious longing for higher living and pure thinking, inspiring woman herself with the new sense of her dignity in the eternal purposes of nature. Today there are 25,000 530 colored schools in the United States with 1,353,352 pupils of both sexes. This is not quite the 13th year since the emancipation and the colored people hold in landed properties for churches and schools $25 million. Two and one half million colored children have learned to read and write and 22,956 colored men and women, mostly women, are teaching in these schools. According to Dr. Rankin, president of Howard University, there are 247 colored students, a large percentage of whom are women, now preparing themselves in the universities of Europe. Of other colleges which give the BA uh, course to women and are broad enough not to erect barriers against colored applicants, Oberlin, the first to open its doors to both woman and the Negro, has given classical degrees to six colored women, one of whom, the first and most eminent, Fanny Jackson Coppin, we shall listen to tonight. Ann Arbor and Wes Lisley have each graduated three of our women. Cornell University One, who is now professor of sciences in a Washington high school, a formal pupil of my own from the Washington High School, who was snubbed by Vassar, has since carried off honors in a competitive examination in Chicago University. The medical and law colleges of the country are likewise bombarded by colored women, and every year some sister of the darker race claims their professional award of well done. Eminent in their professions are Dr. Dillon and Dr. Jones, and there sailed to Africa last month a demure little brown woman who had just outstripped a whole class of men in a medical college in Tennessee. In organized efforts for self-help and benevolence also, our women have been active. 
the Colored Women's League, of which I am at present corresponding secretary, has active, energetic branches in the South and West. The branch in Kansas City, with a membership of upward of 150, already has begun under their vigorous president, Mrs. Yates. The erection of a building for friendless girls. Mrs. Coppin will, I hope herself, tell you something of her own magnificent creation of an individual society in Philadelphia. The women of the Washington branch of the League have subscribed to a fund of about $5,000 to erect a woman's building for educational and industrial work, which is also to serve as headquarters for gathering and disseminating general information relating to the efforts of our women. This is just a glimpse of what we are doing. Now, I think if I could crystallize the sentiment of my constituency and deliver it as a message to this Congress of Women, it would be something like this. Let woman's claim to be as broad in the concrete as in the abstract. We take our stand on the solidarity of humanity, the oneness of life, and the unnaturalness and injustice of all special favoritisms, whether of sex, race, country, or condition. If one link of the chain be broken, the chain is broken. A bridge is no stronger than its weakest part, and the cause is not worthier than its weakest element. Least of all can woman's cause afford to decry the weak. We want, then, as toilers for the universal triumph of justice and human rights, to go to our homes from this Congress, demanding an entrance not through a gateway for ourselves, our race, our sex, or our sect, but a grand highway for humanity. The colored woman feels that women's cause is one and universal, and that not till the image of God, whether in pariah or ebony, is sacred and inviolably. Not till race, color, sex, and condition are seen as the accidents, and not the substance of life. Not till the universal title of humanity to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness is conceded to be inalienable to all not till then is woman's lesson taught and woman's cause won not the white woman's nor the black woman's nor the red woman's but the cause of every man and every woman who has writhed silently under a mighty wrong woman's wrongs are thus indissolubly linked with all undefended woe, and the acquirement of her rights will mean the final triumph of all right over might, the supremacy of the moral forces of reason and justice, and love in the government of the nations of earth. Anna Julia Cooper, 1893. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things.